Today I'd like to discuss a subject called a knowledge of evil. A knowledge of evil. Do you have a knowledge of evil? You know, years ago I can remember, uh, this was probably about three or four years after I dedicated my life to the Lord. Maybe, maybe a little bit, sh- maybe not quite so long, but I can remember leading up to my conversion, I was a movie addict. I had a vast movie library, PG, PG-13, rated R, had a bunch of movies. I had favorite actors that I would try to collect all of their movies of, and, and I probably had two or three hundred videos in my collection. And when I came to Jesus, God, he convicted me basically that I needed to surrender that and get rid of those videos because of the time involved and because of the fact that I was familiarizing my mind with evil. And so I gave them up. Now fast forward to this point in time that I just mentioned. One time I was getting ready to go to a camp meeting with my future wife and her family. And our washing machine broke in our house, so I had to go down the night before we were going to leave to a laundromat and do my laundry. And they had a television in this laundromat, and it was playing a movie, a rated R movie, that I had seen in my prior life, so to speak. And I was curious. You know, like walking around the tree of knowledge, so to speak, I I caught a glimpse of this movie and soon I was being drawn. It was almost like there was a magnet just drawing me to this, this spectacle. And God was speaking through my thoughts, you know, basically warning me, look, I've given you victory. Don't reacclimate your mind to evil again. But you know, the, the pull was very strong. And so I found myself wandering around the tree, watching the video, folding the laundry, and just curious. And then it got to the point where my laundry was all done, but the movie wasn't over. And so I got into my car, and I began to drive home. And, this, and, you know, and you buy, I drove by this, this place called the movie gallery, and, and the pull was just pulling me in. Man, I really want to see how that movie ended. And the Lord was working with me every step of the way. Look, don't do this. Don't snapshot evil in your mind again but I pulled into the parking lot and rented the movie went home watched the rest of it then got up and went to the camp meeting but you know what that one decision reopened Pandora's box and to this very day I have to really watch myself when it comes to media now I've never been involved in any type of addiction that's inappropriate as far as videos if you understand what I'm saying but I'm talking about worldly movies that are rated R and maybe even PG and PG 13 I just really struggle with that whole medium and so I have to really watch myself and as a result my wife and I are very careful in what videos we allow our kids to see because we do not want to replicate that addiction in our children because they've got our genes. But I reacclimated my mind to evil again. And friends what we need to realize is that when we dabble in things that, are, that were once forbidden, we reawaken the old nature again that should be dying and starving. Okay? And I'm afraid that a lot of times we, we dabble too much 
and we break down the barriers of our spiritual defenses and again reacclimate our minds to love sin. And we need to realize that Jesus came to deal with sin. And Jesus needs to deal with that in us so that he can prepare us for a sinless society where sin will never, ever again arise. There's a statement written back in 1881. The statement goes, Those who venture to indulge in a known sin will be more readily overcome the second time. The first transgression opens the door to the tempter and he gradually breaks down all resistance and takes full possession of the citadel of the soul. They, the people that break down the barriers, have become so familiar with sin that they no longer perceive its heinous character. You see, friends, again, we need to make sure that we are not regaining a knowledge of evil. I'd like to say also that, again, these are probably things you already know, but the human mind records everything. It's like a digital camera or a DV camcorder. It is fed by what we think, what we see, and what we hear. And if we think, see, and hear evil, it becomes attracted to evil and conditioned to desire evil. As a result, we become desensitized and dumbed down to the sinfulness of sin. When we dabble in sin, barriers and defenses are broken down and it becomes easier over time to indulge with less and less guilt. Some of you might play the guitar. You've heard me say this before, but when you first start playing, you know, the fingertips are real sensitive and you, you know, they're actually, they actually hurt when you're learning to hold down the strings, but then after a while they get calloused. And you don't always feel that pain anymore until pretty soon they're hardened over. And it's the same thing with a knowledge of evil. If we indulge, our conscience becomes seared. And then we begin the process of going down the road of hardening the mind against God. There's another statement that says, When a person once neglects to heed the invitations, the reproofs, and the warnings of the Spirit of God, his conscience becomes seared. And the next time he is admonished, it will become more difficult to yield obedience. We want to, under, to all understand how the soul is destroyed. It is not that God sends out a decree that man shall not be saved. But man at first resists a motion of the Spirit of God. And having once resisted, it is less difficult to do so the second time, less the third, and far less the fourth. And then ultimately, the statement says the sinner destroys himself through his own choices. And so I don't want to be in your face too much today, friends, but what I want to tell you is that we need to be careful that we are not strengthening our knowledge of evil. We need to be careful that we're not dabbling in forbidden things so that we gain an intimate knowledge of things that God never intended for us to have. Some some of you may have heard my personal testimony on how at the age of 10, after I was baptized and converted to Christ in another denomination other than the one I'm in now, I was faced with a temptation to go to a party. And, and God did everything he could to try to prevent me from going to that party because he did not want me to be familiar with evil. But because I went to that party, I exposed myself at a very young age to many different temptations. And as a result, that one decision took me away from God for 17 years until the Lord mercy mercifully and graciously brought me back. 
But friends, please understand that sin is exceedingly sinful and God did not, does not want us to gain a first-hand knowledge of evil by experiencing the conscious guilt that comes from separation from God. And God wanted to spare our first parents of that very same thing. He did not want them to experience that, con- that, that conscious realization that, that their relationship with God had been severed. And so we need to be very careful as far as understanding a knowledge of evil. I'd like to take you to Genesis for just a moment. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis, the third chapter. And we're going to look at verses 22 through 24. Genesis chapter 3, 22 through 24. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Now, of course, we understand this to be after sin entered. Our first parents were being banished from the Garden of Eden. And it's very interesting that God drove them from the garden and placed angels there with flaming swords to prevent them from having access to the tree of life so that sin would not be immortalized. Okay? But I find it very interesting that in verse 22... God says, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. You know, one day I was thinking about that statement by God. Man is become as one of us, knowing good and knowing evil. And I thought to myself, well, wait a minute. I know that God knows good. But how does God know evil? To the experience that Adam and Eve knew it. I mean, isn't God sinless? Isn't God righteous? Isn't it impossible for God to sin because it goes, very, goes contrary to his very character? What did God mean when he said man is like us, knowing good and knowing especially evil? Have you ever thought about that? Well, I've come to the conclusion that God can possibly know good, or, and know evil rather, in four ways. Number one, we know that God is omniscient, right? He knows all. He sees all, and he sees things before they happen, right? So one way that God knows evil is that he foresaw the rebellion of Satan. He foresaw the entrance of sin. And so in that sense, he could know evil from a certain point of view. Number two, he knew evil directly through Lucifer's rebellion. Because as a result of that rebellion, one-third of the heavenly family, one-third of the heavenly family were expelled from heaven as a result of evil breaking out in a place of perfection. So God knows it that way. Thirdly, God also knows evil through the fall of man that we just read a portion of right here in Genesis 3. God experienced evil in a sense by losing the human race to sin. But you know what? There's a fourth way that God especially 
knows evil. And that is through the experience of Jesus Christ while on earth. Especially at the crucifixion. God especially knows evil through the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you'll go to Matthew, just go to Matthew chapter 27, just for a moment. Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. And I talked about this a little bit this morning when we dealt with the faith sight question, but it says in Matthew 27, 46, In about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You see, right here at this critical moment, Jesus was utterly abandoned and severed. As far as his connection, of course, that was gradual starting in Gethsemane to the point where it reached a critical point on Calvary to where Jesus could not discern his father's presence at all. The only thing he could see was a broad chasm of sin, if you will. And it must have broke the father's heart to have to turn his face from his suffering son and not be able to interpose to deliver him. Now let me tell you something, that must have broke the Father's heart. That is a very acute way that God knows evil. Think about how close Christ was to his Father during his earthly walk. They were one, right? John chapter 10 verse 30, I and my Father are one. Well, think about the separation they endured in the opposite direction to that oneness. We're talking about an infinite gap. And God the Father experienced that as far as evil is concerned. You know, when my daughter Abigail was born, she was born in a birthing center in Gainesville, Florida. And when she was born, her breathing was very rapid. Okay? The nurse midwife told me that 30 to 60 breaths a minute is probably average. You've got a lot of medical professionals here. You probably could say better than me. But her breathing was between 60 and 90 breaths a minute. I guess she had transient tachypnea. Is that how you say that? Right? I see some head shaking, so I'm on the right track here. But, but they could not. I mean, they kept her for several hours. and They could not get that breathing under control. So they had to take her to the hospital. And so we went to the hospital. And, and they put her on what I call a, a frying pan or something. They had one of these metal things you lay the baby on and it's heated so it keeps their temperature appropriate and they were sticking IVs into her and doing all this stuff and she's like nine hours old and I'm sitting there right next to her and she's screaming and crying and and she was looking at me even at, at that age and she was crying out saying dad what are they doing to me help me this does not feel good. They're sticking twos down my throat. And of course I'm paraphrasing what she would say but she looked at me with those eyes like why don't you do something to help me And I could not do a thing to save or help my daughter. And you can think about what God must have went through. God has a knowledge of evil, brethren and sisters, believe me. And he has that knowledge of evil through the sacrifice of his son. Just as I had no power 
to deliver my daughter, so did God choose to not exercise his power to deliver Christ because it needed to be that way. Otherwise, we would be lost. But think about what it must have done to the heart of God to have to endure the oneness with his son being broken up, let alone how Jesus must have felt. And in fact, I believe that Jesus, according to the Bible, actually became sin itself on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21, right? For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, Jesus didn't just bear sin. According to that text, he actually became sin. And that's a, that's a subject that, that we could chew on for a while and not even really scratch the surface on. But notice, brothers and sisters, that when Jesus became sin, the Father could do nothing but allow that to happen if the plan of redemption was going to be successful. And that must have broke the Father's heart. And here's another argument that, that would seem to, to, to really get us to think a little bit. Two verses earlier in 2 Corinthians 5, in verse 19, it says that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. So how could God be separated from Christ on the, while Jesus was on the cross and yet be in Christ reconciling the world? Well, I believe that the Father's heart going through what his son went through was also crucified in a sense. The heart of infinite love through the experience of Christ paid the price for our redemption. That is how God knows evil. Not that he practices evil as a lifestyle, but he knows it because with Christ they experienced sin when Jesus went through the cross of Calvary experience. So God acutely knows evil. And going a step further, God is all-knowing from eternity past to eternity future. God transcends time. And, and I believe, and you may challenge me, but I believe that Calvary is an ever-present reality with God. Christ is crucified afresh by every sin committed. Angels are forced to watch sins because they must record them in the books of heaven. Every lost sinner in hell will leave an empty place in God's heart that was meant just for them. And since they are lost, this place, I believe, will remain void for eternity. That is how close God is with creation. Because creation is a visible expression of the love of the heart and mind of God. And if any part of his creation is lost, I believe that God will feel that void for eternity. That is how God knows evil. Whatever happens in heaven or in earth affects the heart and mind of God. Every act, good or evil, is acutely and intimately felt by the heart of God the Father. There's a book called God's Amazing Grace. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. And on page 189 of this book, there's an incredible statement. It says, God himself was crucified with Christ. For Christ was one with the Father. Few give thought to the suffering that sin has caused our Creator. The cross is a revelation to our dull senses of the pain that from its very inception sin has brought to the heart of God. Every departure from the right, 
Every deed of cruelty, every failure of humanity to reach his ideal brings grief to him. Our world is a scene of misery that we dare not allow our thoughts to dwell upon. Did we realize it as it is, the burden would be too terrible. Yet God feels it all. Not a sigh is breathed, not a pain felt, not a grief that pierces the soul, but that the throb vibrates back to the Father's heart. In order to destroy sin and its results, He gave His best beloved, and He has put it in our power through cooperation with Him to help to bring this scene of misery to an end. That's a lengthy statement, but the essence is is that whatever happens, God senses everything. That is how God knows evil. God has a very intimate knowledge of evil. And again, it's not that he lives or practices evil, but he knows the sinfulness of sin because everything vibrates back to his heart. And he does that and and he allowed Jesus to go through Calvary so that we don't have to experience that type of knowledge. God wanted to spare us of that knowledge, brothers and sisters. God even wants to now to spare us of the knowledge of evil. And he went through that to help us to realize that we don't need to know that sin is bad by indulging in it. But unfortunately, curiosity killed the cat, so to speak. Like like our first parents were curious, we are curious. And we have to know for ourselves. But, 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 but for those of you who are parents, think about how you, your heart goes out to your children. When you see them develop and you, and you see them en- entering into teenagehood and all this stuff. And of course, I'm not there yet, but I will be there if Jesus tarries. But, but think about how you see them being tempted to make decisions that will affect the rest of their lives. That will ripple through the rest of their lives. And they're not wise decisions. And think about how your heart goes out. Look, I want to spare you of the mistakes that I made. Please consider this decision. And think about how your heart goes out to your child. Well, that's how God feels about us. He does not want us to dabble into sin to know that sin is evil. He wants to spare us of that knowledge. He doesn't want us to open Pandora's box. You know, my daughter, when she was little, Abigail, our oldest one, the one I just told you about being on the frying pan, so to speak, we had one of those lamps in our bedroom that gets very, very hot. And she used to walk into our bedroom, and let's say this is the lamp. She used to go, hmm. And I'd say, honey... Don't touch that lamp. It'll burn you. It's hot. And then she'd go. And then after a few minutes, it's like. I could see her wandering back around it because she just felt gravitated to it. Honey. And, and she'd even do, you know, you know how kids stretch you sometimes? They're, she's looking at me going like this, you know. You know what I mean? Like, Dad, I'm getting real close, but I'm not doing what you said. Okay. Of course, she was only maybe 18 months, two years old or something. Honey, Daddy's telling you. Don't touch it. You'll get burned. It'll hurt. She'd walk away, and then pretty soon, you know, it's like, hmm. Comes back around. And then I said, okay, she's got to learn. So dead, hot, hot, burn, burn. I tried to tell you. You need to trust what I say. And don't take matters into your own hands. And you see, that's how we are with God, friends. We need to trust what God says. And not go down that path. Because invariably, friends, we are going to get burnt. 
God wants to spare us of the knowledge of evil. He went through that knowledge so acutely that he so desperately wants to spare us of opening Pandora's box and experiencing evil. Friends, where are you today? Have you let go of some things and reopened some things that maybe God wants to close up? Have you reacclimated your mind to some sin in your life maybe that God once gave you victory over but you resurrected because you were curious again like I did with the movies? Have you reacclimated your mind to a knowledge of evil because you've just let go and, and is God calling you back to make that recommitment? Is there some sin in your life that has strengthened itself over time that, that God is saying, you know what, you have to lay that on the altar and give that up completely. The axe needs to be laid at the root. Because you can't date sin, brothers and sisters. you got to break up with it completely. You need a clean break. And I'm talking about conscious premeditated sin now. I'm not talking about sin that, that, that God hasn't revealed yet. I'm talking about conscious premeditated sin. Are you practicing something that you know God is saying, put it away? Given the fact that God has an intimate knowledge of evil and wants to spare us of this evil. Is he calling you to surrender that again to him so that he can take that evil out of your mind again? You see, friends, I believe, I really believe with all my heart, we need to make commitments to surrender everything to God, sins included. Because, brothers and sisters, in many ways, we've, we've allowed our minds to deviate into areas that God is saying, no, 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 don't go down there. Because once you lower the gate, pretty soon you're on the broad path and not on the narrow path. God is calling us back to the narrow path, brothers and sisters. He's calling us to stand up by faith and say, you know what, I am tired of these sins, I want to surrender them and have victory and put them out of my life once and for all. I believe that Jesus can give us the power to put away every known premeditated sin so that we can get back to the righteousness and holiness that Jesus wants to give us, that he wants to infuse us with so that when we witness to others, there's a heavenly influence that emanates from us so that we actually impact others because Jesus is able to use us because our hearts have had the king's highway cleared. What is God saying to you right now? You can regain your innocence again if you turn to God. You know, I remember when the movie The Passion of the Christ came out. And I'm not here to condemn, you know, because I believe in, in, in some sense God, could, God might be able to use that movie, even though I don't think that movie's theologically correct. But I remember when it came out, you know, I wanted to watch it. And God told me, look, Calvary is special. Don't, don't put your mind in that channel. But I, but I was curious. And through a series of events, I ended up putting my mind in front of that movie and and, and I felt so violated after that. Because God wanted to keep Calvary special. And no movie can portray the spiritual experience of Jesus through the sight. 
what we need to, to, to understand is that the second death that Jesus suffered is something that we must chew on in the heart and mind that we cannot necessarily see because it's a spiritual experience and spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And after I watched that movie, I felt violated and I felt so convicted and rebuked by the Spirit of God that I had allowed my mind to witness such violence. And I had to pray before God and say, God, forgive me. Cleanse my mind and help me to keep Calvary in a special place in my heart as something that is holy ground. Well, friends, you may have something in your life right now. You may have some sin that, that maybe God gave you victory over that you've reacclimated yourself to. And in your mind, God may be speaking to you right now and saying, you know what, I can give you victory and remove that knowledge of evil if you will surrender that to me. Is he calling you to a commitment in some area? Is he calling you to, to come to the point where you renounce sin? Because that's the power of the gospel that Jesus brings to us. He wants us to come to the point where we are willing to make a clean break with conscious sinning and conscious guilt. And through his strength, he can do it. Through his strength, we are supernaturally enabled to do it, but we have to submit to him. And that, that's the theme that I've been trying to develop all week. But what is the Holy Spirit saying in your heart right now? I mean, deal truly with yourself. Don't play games with the Spirit of God. I mean, God is speaking to your mind right now. And, and, and as you take spiritual inventory right now, what is he calling you to make as far as a commitment? I mean, I'm not good at, I'm an evangelist. I'm not good at appeals. God, God's trying to work with me to make more effective appeals. But, but, but I'm really at the point now where I just would rather ask the question and not beat around the bush. Where are we right now? Who really has control of our hearts right now? What is the ruling power inside of us? Now, sure, we're on a growth path and we're growing and we're being sanctified as we're walking with Jesus, walking in the Spirit. And, and it's true that God can't reveal everything to us at once or we would be so overwhelmed we'd just throw in the towel. But you know what? I believe that every heart has a plate, so to speak, and this is an imaginary plate, where God has his revealed will on it. And we know it because he's revealed it to us. And he's saying, look, these are the things that I'm requiring of you right now in this present moment. These are the known choices that I'm asking you to bring into harmony with my will. All I need you to do is make a decision to do it. And then when those are under control, then I'm going to add and bring some more stuff. And that way your growth will be progressive. But right now in this moment of time, as you look at your plate, so to speak, what is Jesus asking from you? And, 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 and if you realize that, what commitment are you willing to make for him? When you consider what God the Father and God the Son went through, through the Calvary experience, on how they acutely experienced evil to their very core, how could we in good conscience continue to do the things that Jesus is crucified afresh by? Because God will never ask us to surrender something 
that he will not give us the strength to give up. And with me, it was movies. And with me, it's sports. And by the way, you know what the Greek and Roman legacy to modern day America is? Theater and sports. And think about how influential those industries are. And so those are the things that, and, I, and I'm half Greek by nature. I, my, my, my biological father is, a, is from Rhodes. He's a pure-blooded Greek. And so I've got that in my genes. I mean, I love wisdom. You know how 1 Corinthians 1 says the Greeks love learning and wisdom? I love learning and wisdom. I'd go to school forever if my wife would let me. But God, in my character, is addressing these issues with me. What about you? What decision are you willing to make right now so that God can remove your knowledge of evil in some area? And if you think it's too great of a sacrifice to surrender that to God, think about what Christ did when he endured an eternal separation with his Father. Shame on us for even questioning whether or not we would come and fall at the feet of the cross and say, Lord, take my sins away. I'm sick and tired of doing things my way and fighting and resurrecting all these old habits so that I'm entangled again in the cords of my sins while professing to be the denominated people of God. Will you make a commitment today? And if so, are you willing to stand up and come to this altar? You don't have to verbalize anything. But is there something in your life right now by faith that you want to stand up and come to the altar and surrender before God right now? I'd like to close this meeting with a special, special consecration prayer through this altar call. And as we close and, and lay our heart before God, I would like anyone who feels a burden to come forward and lay some issue in the life on the altar I'd invite you to do so at this time. If there's anyone that would like to come forward and lay something on the altar. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Jesus marks these commitments, friends. And you don't even need to verbalize it, but you in your heart know as God's dealing with you, you know what that is. And I believe that God will bless your commitment. Doesn't matter how deep those sins or, or challenges are, God can help you if you will consistently surrender that to Him and He'll help you to overcome. Is there anyone else that would like to come forward? Praise God. I think we need a spiritual revival. Amen? I mean, we need genuine spirituality, and that can only come through a total surrender to Christ and laying of sin on the altar. Because, friends, reality is, is that sin desensitizes us. I'm talking about, again, known, premeditated, calculated sinning. And God wants us to give that up. Let's kneel.
Father in heaven, this afternoon, we have been compelled by your spirit to make this commitment. Lord, lay the axe at the root. Help self to die. And we know that must happen daily, but we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We can't go back in time to yesterday, but we have right now. And so we make a decision right now, Lord, to surrender ourselves to you. Take away our knowledge of evil. Take away the conscious guilt that comes from separation from you. Give us victory, Lord, so that we don't premeditate conscious actions that are a violation of your principles. Bring our lives into harmony with your will, Lord. Empower us by thy spirit to be livers of the life of Christ. Help us to be spiritual and not just religious. Help us not to compromise our conscience, Lord, but to be true to what you've revealed to us. And and Lord, if we do make a mistake, help us not to run from you and, and wait a long time before we come to you, but help us to fall on our face and say, Lord Jesus, Forgive me, lift me up, and re-empower me. Let not discouragement paralyze our spirituality. Thank you for loving us, Lord, and for gaining that knowledge of evil in a sense that you took sin on your heart so that we don't have to understand it. Bless us, Lord, and bless these commitments, and be with us throughout the remainder of this day, Lord. May these commitments be written in our hearts, and may your Holy Spirit keep us faithful to them, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.